This is Briar Klopp, and I'm a sales agronomist for CHS Ag Services in Greenbush, Minnesota. And we're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Farm News Time on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Don Wick with Randy Conan in studio. We'll get a report from Tyler Donaldson as well. Another warmer-than-normal day on the way today. However, the forecast also includes fog and freezing drizzle. More of the same expected tonight and tomorrow morning. The temps will continue to warm. Some areas expected to see the low 50s by early next week. According to data released by USDA's Economic Research Service, payments under the Emergency Relief Program for farmers suffering losses in 2020 and 2021 were concentrated in two states. Those two states, North Dakota and Texas. The disbursements made in early 2023 were not available for this report. The World Corn Yield record holders spent time in Fargo and Minot yesterday. David Hula, who farms in Virginia, yielded nearly 624 bushels per acre this past year. Hula said everything starts with the planter. To have a 300 bushel crop, you got to have a 300 bushel stand. To have a 600 bushel crop, you have to have a 600 bushel stand. So that's where it starts. Then number two is genetics. You got to have a crop or plant that can provide it. And then we don't let it have a bad day. We'd like to follow a, a system where we're checking boxes. Every time we pull tissue samples, if we're at a particular level, we know we have a good crop. If something were to go down where we drop the step or so, we stop spending money. So we're being fiscally responsible but we know what the crop needs. Hula said there are no silver bullets, but the little things do make a difference. You got to step outside the box. Insanity is, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over again. So we're not only are we trying new hybrids. I mean, this is a new zip code hybrid, so brand new to us. But we're trying new crop protection products. We also try, you know, we're in the biological and PGR arena. And these are type of the things that are helping our overall farm average go up. Those things that we see that fit voids and allowing the crop to respond, we put that on our production acres. And you don't make bushels, you just don't lose bushels as fast as you can. So we're slowing that curve down. The North Dakota Hula events were sponsored by Pioneer. Northern corn rootworm is a growing problem in new locations in North Dakota and northern Minnesota. Southwest Research and Outreach Center Integrated Pest Management Specialist Bruce Potter credits the expansion of extended diapause. Which is a new wrinkle. We've always had a little bit uh, in, in continuous corn. Uh, so I think it's going to be adapting to that knowledge that, that we've got a, a new problem out there. Uh, problem with extended diapause, it kind of ebbs and flows. It's not a constant problem like weeds. But I think we're, they're just going to have to get better at knowing what's in their fields to be able to, to plan well and, and to manage that insect. And crop rotation has been the traditional way to manage corn rootworm. Which is a new wrinkle. We've always had a little bit uh, in, in continuous corn. Uh, so I think it's going to be adapting to that knowledge that, that we've got a, a new problem out there. There was a lot of wheat in the region that was planted two, three, even four weeks later than normal this past year. AgriPro uh, key account lead, Corey Daffy, says the crop still performed well. And it seemed dry at times, but we can take, they can handle a lot of stress. So I think at the end of the day, as long as we were good during pollination is a key timing. So there, if we don't have too much heat, I think at the then they perform to, I don't know, overall better than expected with maybe some of the heat units and things that we had last year. And dealing with that late timing, I think, 
at the end of the day, we ended up um, as good or better than expected. Wheat sales are still happening. No, there's not a lot of movement. Uh, we'd like a little help on the market side, but um, we've been hanging pretty strong. You know, in the whole, as, as a region, it hasn't shifted a lot the last three, four years. So, unfortunately, you know, our business comes a little bit later. So we'll learn more as to what we get a little closer to spring, what this thing looks like. But, you know, we got the varieties that perform. And at the end of the day, in North Dakota especially, they're going to plant wheat, right? So I think, I think we'll hold strong. North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer questioned the EPA's assistant administrator about the status of chlorpyrifos. In 2021, a federal court revoked all food tolerances for chlorpyrifos. A year ago, the Red River Bean Growers Association, the Red River Valley Sugar Beet Growers Association, American Crystal and Mindac Cooperatives, and the North Dakota Soybean Council sued USDA. But Kramer said there is still plenty of confusion about the use of chlorpyrifos. Reporting agriculture's business, this is the Red River Farm Network. Farm news on the Red River Farm Network. Wheat breeding programs have changed in the last several decades across the region. University of Minnesota spring wheat breeder Jim Anderson says developing a grower survey was key to creating a more complete picture of what growers were looking for. Wheat, wheat growers, we need, we need a variety survey because that hadn't been done routinely. And if you ask the Natu National Ag Statistics Service to do it, they'll, they'll do it, but they charge a lot for it. Uh, so Minnesota hadn't been doing it routinely. So the wheat growers took that on and started mailing out a, a postcard variety survey. So we would put 40 variety names that we think were the most popular on there, and they would check out or write down how many acres of each. And that's been a, a, a fantastic tool for us. So we know, you know, basically by county and by region uh, what the most popular varieties are. New varieties are compared to the traditionally strong and popular varieties. All new varieties are getting tested against uh, Linkert in terms of bread baking quality. So if, if a variety has yield, straw strength, and protein, it's probably going to do well. If it has some good disease resistance, that's a nice bonus. More data is needed to determine the full scope of the rural veterinarian shortage. Farm Journal Foundation Vice President of Strategic Partnerships Todd Greenwood says it's important to plan far in advance for replacing or adding a practitioner to an area. Most of the reports in the data will be centered around the USDA's National Institute of Food and Agriculture, their uh, veterinary loan repayment program. So state veterinarians are required to submit shortage areas. And there's a, there's a limitation on how many shortage areas they can submit. Then a veterinarian has to apply for that and, be, and their application be approved and funded by NIFA. The issue is when a vet doesn't have to take into account the entire state, they don't catch all of the need. Agriculture and livestock organizations can be helpful in defining the need for rural veterinarians. If you look at 226 need areas submitted, 500 counties, 
that doesn't capture it all. And this is where our livestock producer groups, Farm Bureau, uh, National Cattlemen's, your state cattlemen's, uh, and any of those others can help us to understand where the need are. Because then we can go back and look with the state veterinary associations. What's the age of the practitioner? How long have they been there? What, what do they want to do with the practice? It's the non-data stuff that we need. You know, it's understanding, and that's where the community piece is there. So the need's more important than the shortage that's submitted. But right now, the tool that we've got at the federal level is through the USDA's NIFA program. And it, and it is a great program. It just it doesn't cover and count for everything. In the 24 major dairy states, December milk production totaled 18.1 billion pounds, down 0.1% from one year ago. South Dakota again had the largest increase, up more than 11%. During that time, South Dakota added 2,100 cows to the herd. Minnesota milk output declined 1.4% with a loss of 5,000 head in the past year. American Farm Bureau delegates adopted a policy that supports continued AM radio production in vehicles. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Tyler Donaldson has more. Vocal support from rural farmers has led the American Farm Bureau Federation to adopting a policy on the continued production of AM radios and automobiles. AM radios are a key component in the spreading of information for farmers across rural America, and according to Sam Kiefer, AFBF Vice President of Public Policy, none of this would be possible without the grassroots movement pushing for support. Well, our folks have long relied on communications of every means to stay informed. Agriculture is done where the land is, and a lot of our members who live in rural areas, some of which are very remote, you know, FM is certainly not as reliable. Sometimes cell phone service isn't even available. Usually AM is, and it's not a great opportunity for them to uh, stay abreast of very important things like weather and news and keeps them connected. In many ways, a safety issue might think of tornadoes or hurricanes or things of that nature, and it's a great opportunity to stay informed, particularly when there's no uh, FM or cell phone service available. Kiefer says that adopting this resolution is just another way for the AFBF to support farmers and rural families across America. Farm Bureau is a big tent organization, and if it's important to rural communities, it's important to us. And we appreciate the opportunity to work with, with all who have a vested interest in, in rural America. This is just another example of that. That's American Farm Bureau Federation's Vice President of Public Policy, Sam Kiefer. For the Red River Farm Network, I'm Tyler Donaldson. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. The corn market held small gains yesterday. Zaner Group Ag Hedge lead Ted Seifert thinks this corn market may be poised to move higher. You know, there's always some risk in the growing season before we, we really get into it, right? So uh, after being so oversold, after being really straight down since the middle of October, maybe it is the right time frame to cor- for corn to see a little bit of a bounce. And, and today is giving us a little bit more optimism about that. The soybean market is more two-sided. We have alleviated the oversold condition in soybeans, so we're back to about 42% of the relative strength index. It's still on the oversold side of things, but it's really in kind of neutral territory at this point. Uh, and we do have trend line and, and resistance right around the 1254 area. So whether soybeans have more upside potential or not, I think remains to be seen. And, and also might be tied into whether corn does. You know, if corn leads way higher, I think soybeans would want to follow. Walsh trading market analyst John Weir said the soybean market struggled at the close yesterday. Beans kind of raced any gains they had pardon me, from the earlier part of the day, and closed up just to barely above the green, up three quarters, uh, below uh, most of their, uh, all their moving day averages that we look at. Uh, 
corner is a bit of a surprise to me, uh, up five and a half. I think we're holding technical levels there right now on corn. March corn settling at 452 and a quarter. Uh, fighting to stay above 440. And the wheat market found a little more buying interest. You know, wheat's a bit of a seesaw back and forth here. Uh, longer term, I really don't have much feel for which way this is going, but uh, they seem to want to be hanging in this range in the wheat from about uh, 620 to about 580 and uh, a little tennis match from those levels. North Dakota's Industrial Commission has approved a $75 million forgivable loan to Prairie Horizon and $50 million in forgivable loan money to Next Era Energy. Prairie Horizon is part of the Hydro, uh, Heartland Hydrogen Pub and is based in Dickinson. Next Era Energy, based at Spiritwood. Those fertilizer companies have a month to determine if they will accept those loan funds. Checking markets right now as we speak. March Minneapolis wheat four and a quarter higher at seven oh eight and three quarters. Chicago wheat for March a penny higher, and hard red winter wheat March four and a half higher. We have a corn market even money for March at four fifty two and a quarter. Soybeans March a penny higher at twelve forty one and a quarter. As we check in on the farm calendar, the Minnesota Farm Bureau Leadership Education Advocacy and Promotion Conference, the LEAP Conference, is going on February 2nd and 3rd, the Minnesota Farm Bureau meeting in Fargo, North Dakota. Also, February 2nd and 3rd, the NDFE Farm and Ranch Conference, that meeting going on in West Fargo. Uh, those same dates. And the South Dakota Farm Bureau has their Farm and Ranch Conference. It'll be held February 3rd at Box Elder, South Dakota. This is the Red River Farm Network.